G'day and welcome to the Bernie Gainer Show. Yes, I know I have been off air for the last few weeks and I apologize for that, but we have had some things that have been taking my time and attention. First of all, my wife and I welcomed our ninth child, Declan Matthew, into the world a few days ago and both mum and bub are going very well, which I am very happy to report. Plus, I've also had legal issues which have again been taking my time and energy as I prepare for a major case in the New South Wales local court against the serial complainants, Gary Burns. That will be held in early May. I would like to thank everybody who has sent through their congratulations and their support, encouragement and assistance to help me with my legal fights uh, since I sent my email out a few weeks ago. It is greatly appreciated. If we can get to 2030 without World War III kicking off, we will be doing well. And if we do, we should all breathe a sigh of relief because the next 10 years are going to be very, very rocky. That's because China's time is running out and the clock is ticking for Xi Jinping too. He might be dictator for life, but even he knows that does not mean he'll be around forever. Xi Jinping will turn 68 later this year. He is on the cusp of becoming an old man, but he's also on the cusp of becoming the dude, the man to take China to the very top. The US is floundering. Europe's time at the center of world politics sputtered out at what was the end of a second civil war within a generation about a lifetime ago. And the rest of the world is reeling economically and socially from a germ that originated in the Chinese city of Wuhan. Hong Kong is now well and truly back within China's grasp and it must seem inevitable to the Chinese Communist Party that Taiwan will follow too. At moments like this, dictators for life are consumed by thoughts about their place in the history books. Will Xi Jinping be the one to take China to the top and reunite his glorious nation? Is he the man destined for the great columns and arches and the triumphal tomb? Or will he hesitate, hand this honour to the one who follows and be relegated to a footnote in the history books? Worst of all, will Xi Jinping be remembered as the one who faltered at the last hurdle when all he had to do was reach out and take what was rightly China's? Have no doubts about it. These questions are playing on repeat in Xi Jinping's mind. Ego is a ticking time bomb slowly and inexorably counting down inside his head. He knows he has about a decade left to answer those questions. Xi Jinping also knows this. China also has about a decade left as well before its wheels start coming off. Sometime around 2030, China's real source of strength will just start to fade away, and that is young people. In relative terms to Australia, China has lots of young people and in particular men. However, in relative terms to itself, China is actually starting to run out of children. Between now and 2030, China's average age is projected to increase from 38.4 years to 42.6 years. By 2050, the average Chinese person will be almost 50 years old. 
Right now, there are more people aged between 50 and 70 in China than there are under the age of 20. And that means there are already more grandparents than grandkids. Societies like that don't have a lot of time or energy or much of a future. And China's demographic outlook is getting worse. Around 2030, China will begin to die. Its population will start shrinking. It is projected to decrease by more than 60 million people between 2030 and 2050. And after that, the decline will really start to accelerate. A report in the Lancet Medical Journal predicts China's population will halve from 1.4 billion to about 730 million by the end of the century. The population of those between 20 and 24, the prime military and fighting ages, will shrink by two thirds. In other words, if China doesn't do something about Taiwan and the rest of the world in the next 10 years, it will probably be too late. China has one shot at this. Either it acts and wins and then uses its world dominance to address the problems of its inevitable demographic decline, or the moment will be lost forever as China's population plummets off a cliff. These facts are rolling around inside the head of a man who has an ego bomb ticking away inside of him and who commands the world's largest army, the world's largest navy, and the world's third largest air force. That's not a good combination for global security. Making matters worse for us is this fact as well. Right now, today, there are 23 million more men than women between the ages of 18 and 45 in China. That's 23 million men who cannot get married, cannot become a father or have a family of their own. They will never have a girlfriend. This economically depressed region as soon as they can. Women leave to go far away to the cities to work. They don't come back. They marry men there and don't come back. Chinese have a preference for boys, and that has produced a gender imbalance across the country. Here in Hainan, island-wide, there are 130 men for every 100 women. And in some places, the ratio is as bad as 170 to 100. And that male-to-female differential is only growing. Over the next decade, another 11.3 million spare blokes will turn 18 in China. And there's another million a year lined up after that until at least 2040. That's a lot of unhappy, unsatisfied, surplus testosterone sitting around inside China with a population production line that will only fuel further unrest. It's a massive problem for the Chinese Communist Party. Sending those men someplace else is about the only way to deal with it. Luckily for Xi Jinping, his place in the history books pretty much depends on his ability to make China's testosterone problem someone else's testosterone problem. So as I said, if we can avoid World War III in the next 10 years, we should all thank God because it has to loom larger every single day in Xi Jinping's mind as his preferred course of action. Now, you'd think that Western militaries and governments would be do doing some serious thinking about this, but alas, no. Instead, we're talking about this. Recruiting more women to our military, adjusting policies to retain more women, enforcing policies to protect women and ensure they are heard, and advancing more women on fair and equal footing will without any question 
make our nation safer. You know, some of, some of it's relatively uh, straightforward work where we're making good progress, designing body armor that fits women properly, tailoring combat uniforms for women, creating maternity flight suits, updating, uh, updating requirements for their hairstyles. And some of it is going to take an, uh, you know, an, an intensity of purpose and mission to really change the culture and habits that cause women to leave the military. Now, women are making sure more diverse candidates are considering being considered for career-advancing opportunities at every single level. The women aren't penalized in their careers for having children. That women aren't just token members, but integral parts throughout all branches and all divisions. And that they can completely, fairly engage in promotion, compete all across the board, including on the uh, on age and gender neutrality and physical fitness tests. You know that both members of the uh, of the uh, of, of, of the military. Uh, couples can thrive while serving. You know, I, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> come on, man. We're developing maternity uh, flight suits and uh, new hairstyles and uh, with 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 an intensity of purpose. <laughs> Do you feel safe? Do you feel inspired? If you do, you're an idiot. The clock is ticking. There are more spare men in China than Australia's total population, and there's a communist dictator megalomaniac who wants his place in history. There is never a good time for this crap. Maternity flight suits and military hairstyles for women and diversity and all the rest of it. But this right now is a particularly bad time for these stupid flights of fancy. And those two morons, because that's exactly what they are, are supposed to be commanding the military forces that will protect Australia and the world at large. It's a pretty embarrassing place for Australia to be in. We are completely reliant on the US at a time when it's led by a guy who has trouble stringing a sentence together, let alone finding Australia on the map. But we are reliant on him. We need the biggest defence spending projects in Australia's history to be delivering right now. Now, we've got the biggest defence project in history for 12 completely redesigned French submarines, but it just won't deliver until sometime after 2050. And it's already becoming clear that those goals are being blown out of the water. But the first new submarine won't hit the water for more than a decade. And there are early signs the schedule is slipping. The Auditor General has recently looked at the latest milestone and it is 17 months behind schedule. So basically, the Australian government has gone and purchased an uber expensive weapon that may not arrive until a couple of decades after World War III. And no one's really sure if it will even be capable of fighting when it arrives anyway. And in the meantime, this is what our Australian Defence Force is promoting. I think first impressions scared me the most. I 
I'm a small, short little girl joining the military. I was afraid that I wouldn't be taken seriously. I think for us it's being confident in our abilities and not being willing to be pushed over. Being confident to be the trailblazers in an organisation that's undergoing a cultural shift so that we pave the right future for our uh, junior officers. I want women to feel like they belong here and that they're an important part of the Defence family. Taking up these leadership positions has given me the confidence to go forward and not be afraid of what I am in size or what people think of me. It's 20 years now since UNSCR 1325 was passed and there's been so much progress but there's still so far to go. I think we're going to see a lot more change in the next 20 years just as we have in the last 20. For me it would be for women in service now not to have faced the challenges that I have over the last 37 years. For them to be able to reach their full potential in, in whatever service they're part of. And for us to not be having discussions about gender equality. I've got four girls myself, four, four daughters, and I would, I would like to think that the world's going to be a better place for them than it is for me. Gender and military operations, women, peace and security, and gender, peace and security is an important part of ensuring a better world moving forward. She's brave, she's confident, and she's inspiring. Empowering, strong, unwavering. Pioneering, empowering, and confident. True, compassionate, and diverse. What I want is a commitment to action, a commitment to take the agenda forward and really make a difference. To move from just talking about it, from rhetoric, to really operationalising 1325. It's all of us working together that will achieve gender equality in the long run. We can't do it on our own. We need to work together. <laughs> that video does not scare anyone but Australians with a brain. If anything, the Communist Chinese Party will see it as an invitation to come knocking on our door. We are being made defenceless so schoolgirls can make videos about empowerment. It's beyond ridiculous. Luckily, control of the Australian Defence Force rests upon Senator Linda Reynolds' broad and competent shoulders. I'm sure she's gonna sort this out. If I could ask Mr. President, if I could have indulgence, if you can just give me a minute. True, Senator Reynolds is currently tucked into bed because she can't deal with the fallout from the kids running amok in her own office. But I have no doubt that she has the intestinal fortitude to guide our defences through these uncertain times. After all, it was only a couple of short years ago that the good senator was marked as a rising political star. Her light shone bright as her wisdom was brought to bear on the tricky issues of our times. Apparently, and this was a complete shock to me, there are zero women in the NRL or AFL competitions. And for one, 
I simply cannot think why. Linda Reynolds noted, however, that we have female infantry, about 15 of them, and came up with a brilliant idea. Put women into the elite AFL and NRL competition, she said. This remarkable idea was then promptly promoted by that bastion of common sense, the Sydney Morning Herald. In an article that stated, a rising star inside the Turnbull government has called for a national debate on introducing mixed gender competitions to professional sports, asking why women are segregated from competing against men in codes like the AFL, NRL and Rugby Union. Linda Reynolds, who was Australia's first female brigadier in the Army Reserves before joining Parliament, told Fairfax Media that sport should follow in the footsteps of the Australian Army, which has a target of lifting the proportion of women in its ranks to 25% within five years, which would be 2023. Like in the military, sport requires many different qualities in an individual player, but also in the team. Senator Reynolds told Fairfax Media, we no longer segregate women solely on their gender. Women now have the opportunity to compete on merit in the military, and I'm sure Linda Reynolds did. So maybe it's a good time to rethink the segregation of women in sport simply based on their gender and not on the talent. You know, it really is simply befuddling as to why women don't play rugby union against men. I cannot fathom it. My eyes have been opened. Obviously, the patriarchy is out of control. Fortunately, combat is not a game controlled by the patriarchy. And we all know China will adhere to the rules of equity and diversity on the battlefield, fairness and gender equality. We don't have anything to worry about at all.
故者。If you like this episode, please make sure you share it on social media with your friends, and make sure you subscribe to GoodSource.News to stay up to date. In case we ever get zucked, and you can always subscribe to my weekly or monthly newsletter at bernardgaynor.com. And thank you once again for your support, generosity, and assistance over the last few weeks. I am very, very grateful. The Bernard Gaynor Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Bernard Gaynor. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJWPC fact filter, visit GoodSource.News. Good S A U C E dot News. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show. 